somebody I've known for many years in the real estate industry and just admire him a ton. So let me tell you a little bit a little bit about Kevin Cooper. Let's see. Kevin Cooper has over 12 very successful and I mean very successful years of real estate experience in the greater Sacramento area. After having made the decision to leave a high-level management position at a Fortune 500 company, He's worked for several real estate companies as well as operated his own brokerage and separate mortgage company, but he is currently the owner and president of Cooper & Associates Realty, the Cooper team at Keller Williams and Elk Grove. I just got to speak yesterday at Elk Grove, so that was awesome. Kevin holds a master's degree in organizational management, so does that mean that your closet is super organized, Kevin? Yes, it is. <laughs> and a BA in business. He's a lifetime member of the Sacramento Association of Realtors Masters Club and participates actively in a variety of leadership roles within the association. He's a certified short sale and foreclosure resource specialist and a certified distressed property expert. Holy cow, I ran out of breath reading all that. You're so awesome, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. So welcome to our show. I'm excited to have you. I know we got to connect a few weeks ago um, when speaking with Zarisa at her new venture over there at Nehemiah. That's pretty cool to speak to all those new agents. That was fun. Oh, yeah, the room was filled with energy. Yes, and excitement and all that. I remember those days. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your background. Like, I know you came from a big company, so Tell me what made you make that decision to go from working for a large corporation into truly becoming a, a, an extraordinary entrepreneur. What what was that like? You know, it was great. I worked for UPS, and I'm, I'm very blessed to say that, um, for 17 years. And they're really a great company, very good to me, helped pay for my education, including my master's degree. Um, but I had come to the point where I felt that I needed some additional growth the promotional opportunities they had for me all required relocation. I got offered uh, one heck of a job, but I would have had to be in, you know, uh, managing North and South Carolina. And I said, that's a little bit too far away. You get something closer, and then I get a call the next week saying, hey, we got one in Wyoming for you. And at the time, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, a, a, a single father with my daughter. She was four years old, and I had joint custody of her, so I just couldn't leave her. That wasn't on in, in the uh, option. So at that point, I thought, well, let me look at something else to do. And so uh, I made the transition from a six-figure salary at you know at UPS into real estate. And uh, you know, I kind of what really what really was the impetus though was I read this book called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and I was very yeah. uh, motivated by it. And I read it to my daughter, and she could quote like, "I don't want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to own it." And she's like six years old, so I was so proud of her. Until one day, she looked at me with these beautiful green eyes and she looked up and said well daddy why do you have a job and i swear oh. to you within 60 days i left my job at ups wow isn't it amazing how powerful simple words from our children can affect us you know it, it, they're so honest like they're she's like uh dad like what are you doing right 
Exactly. So it's what just is like, that? Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. It was like it was one of those moments like, duh, here I am trying to brainwash you and preach you, my daughter, and she just looks at me, it's like, All right, Dad, walk the talk. And it was just exactly. like it was, it was time to put up or shut up and luckily when I did come in, um, the market was very vibrant. Okay, so tell us about that. You get into real estate, you're a brand new agent. And, you know, we just got done talking to all these brand new agents, so it, it's kind of uh, telling. What did you do? Like, how how did you get started? What what helped you really um, make that transition? Fear. Fear. Oh, good. Yeah, and, 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 and I'll tell you about it. Um, I remember when I was making the transition, I went to my CPA, and he was looking, like I said, I was making six figures, so he's like, do you really want to do this? And I said, absolutely. And he just kept looking at me, giving me a real doubting look. And um, so I made that commitment when I came in the business. Um, you know, even though I was making six figures at my other job, I was working 75 hours a week to do so. So it's not like it was a 30- or 40-hour-a-week job. So I made a commitment that I was going to work at least as hard for myself. So when I entered the business, you know, uh, my my start time at UPS was 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the morning. So I came into the real estate office at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. I just got to tell you, Marguerite, not too many real estate offices are open at 4.30 <laughs> or 5, let alone or the lights on. I had to find the override switch. And then the first couple of times, you know, literally at 4.30 in the morning, I'd see the police coming by flashing their light on me until they got used to me being there so early. And people like, well, what were you doing at 4.30 in the morning? Well, Marguerite, if you ever want to get your client's attention, send somebody an email at 4.30 in the morning. You'll get their attention. You know, I even though they won't, they won't get it till 9 o'clock or whenever they're up, but they're saying, are you a madman? But in those few hours, because most realtors don't get in until 9 or maybe even 10, I, ha- I could do a whole day's work in those few hours. And then the rest of the time I was out in front of my clients, either showing homes, going on listing appointments, or going to lunch with them. But that face time is what's critical to your business. You know, it's funny that you say that because I got to talk to your beautiful wife for a few minutes yesterday when we were uh, when I was there speaking at your office. And the one thing that I said to her is I said the best thing you can do is make sure that that man is in front of people at all times because you're so good at it. I mean, that's definitely your your strength for sure is being in front of people and getting that face-to-face time. Well, thank you. So 4.30 in the morning, do you still do that? Are you still there that early? Luckily, no. Even as up to probably a year ago, I would get in 6.30 to 7. Now I'm easing off the throttle and I get in about between 8 and 8.30. But the difference is I was a one-man show back then, and now I have a team and I'm leveraging other people's efforts. So somebody's working, it's just not me. So tell me what a typical day looks like for you. What's a normal day for Kevin? Uh, I normally I'm out of bed by six o'clock on the treadmill by you know six o five, and then I do the treadmill for about an hour till about seven. Uh, get ready uh, by the time I get off the treadmill, I make my wife a cup of coffee and bring her a Danish. I cook Good some man. eggs. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, happy wife, happy life, and. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And then, like I say, get dressed, feed the dogs, and, and then come on into the office, like I say, between 8 and 8.30. I've always made a practice, and I learned this years ago, is um, some people are fine having their employees come in before them, and they come in really late and leave early. I like to come in when I can, even before my employees, for years. This is just the first year that I haven't done it where I was here before them all the time. But I still like to come in pretty close to when they start, and I certainly like to be here about the time they leave because I need to just so I'm as committed to the business as they are. I don't expect them to do something that I won't do myself. So I try to lead by example. Lead, 
Yeah, lead by example is exactly what I was going to say. And, you know, it's funny, as as uh, entrepreneurs, it can look really glamorous from the outside looking in, but usually the people who are doing, you know, the, the most work or who have done every bit of the work has been the leader. You know, like, I'm as good as I am at sales, I'm also pretty good at taking out the garbage. <laughs> hey, well, you know, what's funny is, is when you go through and you look at where you are, and especially your – the, the one thing I just want to share is: have you, have you read the cash flow quadrant? You know where you have the employee, yes, the self-employed, with five tattoo, yeah, exactly. And so that that blew my mind because I was so happy that I transitioned from being an employee to going to self-employed. You know, doctors, attorneys, realtors. Wow, they can make a lot of money. But the reality is, if you don't work. You don't get paid. So then you migrate over to the business section, right, where you can leverage other people's efforts. But if you think about your typical business owner, where they're early, where they're late, we might be the president and CEO, but we're probably the secretary and maybe all the way down to the janitor. And so many of us that say we have our own business, we don't have businesses, honestly, Marguerite. We're self-employed because unless you can leave your business for months on end and it still runs and generates the same revenue, you probably don't have a business. You're really self-employed. Right. I agree 100%. Well, let me ask you this. With all these huge changes and what you did, was there ever a time when you felt it was just just too hard, too much. You wanted to quit and go back to your your job. You know, by the grace of God, no. Because I, the one thing I found out is, you know, I don't care what somebody pays you, if they're not making money on that wage, you wouldn't exist. And so, having come from various jobs where I was always on salary, I finally had a job that rewarded me commensurate to my effort. And so, when I put in the same effort. The very first year in real estate, my salary more than doubled, and I came from a six-figure job. And so that was a huge eye-opener. The challenge was I had to know when to stop because, you know, hey, if, if a little is good, a lot has to be more, right? Right. And so that and was my challenge. So if you could say, like, what is the single biggest thing that most real estate agents get wrong? Like, what do they what do they do wrong that you see that, does not help them get to the same level that you've gotten to. They don't value their time. And and if, and and I would say number 1, if you've ever worked for somebody else, then you owe it to yourself to work at least as hard for yourself. If you put in a 40 or 50 hour week for someone else, you better put in a 40 or 50 hour week for yourself. And I don't mean being at the office for 8 hours and staying at the water cooler. I mean earning your wage, paying yourself. But when you look at, for example, listing a home, and let's say the average sales price is 300000 and you know you get a traditional commission off of that, that's a nice chunk of change for a few hours worth of work. And when you really realize how fortunate we are to be in a position that we can receive that, then you need to treat that as a profession, no different than attorneys or physicians, and you need to treat it with honor, respect, and you absolutely need to master your craft. And what I did was when I first came in the business, I read one book a week every single week for the first year. And, in fact, I learned so much, I continued that into the next year. So I read over 100 books in the first two years, and literally the first couple of months after I was in the business, nobody ever asked me how long I had been in the business. You know, I've heard you say that before, and I think that that is 
is incredible. Like it, it's so smart to think about doing that, and and of course being strategic about the books that you read. But it seems that you know people for the most part have gotten away from from reading, and there's so much information out there. Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Absolutely. You can go through and and find books about it. So what would you so what are your three favorite books? I know you already talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but what, what would you say are your top three books that you've read? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad for my mindset, because it really took me a, a while to differentiate. Wait, now who's the rich dad in this book? You know, I had to, it was kind of a paradigm shift. Um, another one is A Millionaire Real Estate Agent by Gary Keller. Um, long before I came yep. to Keller Williams, I read that book, and it's, in my opinion, one of the very best books I've ever read. Um, so that one, I'd say, um, is one of my one of my very favorites. And then, you know, I've read some of um, John Maxwell's, like you know, one of them, some of some of his um, irrefutable laws of growth, you know, and he has just some great books. So Maxwell, just from the leadership perspective, and so um, the books that I chose to read during that time period, they all had to be real estate, finance, or business related. Um, and now I'm moving on more towards uh, the personal growth and leadership. And, and fortunately, the company that I came from, there was tons of leadership training. So we had already, I'd already internalized that. So what's on your bookshelf right now? What are you reading? Um, great question. Um, it's uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, there's a new book out. It's Retire Rich. Um, so I'm, I'm reading that. I'm kind of a Dave Ramsey guy. I like him because he's so simple. You know, we always hear, never pay off your home because you lose your mortgage deduction, right? Dave Ramsey would say, well, so you want to pay the bank $10,000 so you don't have to pay the IRS $2,000? Is that what I'm hearing? So just the way he makes things so very simple and dumbs it down and keeps it just fundamental for the masses. So he he's one of my favorite. Um, so one of his books he has is More Than Enough. Um, there's another book that I read that was very, very interesting. Um, and I have to remember the name off the top of my head, um, but it was a um, it was called Oh Freakonomics. So oh, that's a great book. Yeah, and and the reason I read that one was one time I was on a listing appointment, and the guy said, you know, well, will you you know um, construct your your commission like they did in Freakonomics? I said, what are you talking about? So I said, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to go buy the book. So I ended up getting the listing later on, and I called the guy and. You know, basically, he was just saying it's kind of like a performance-based commission. You know, if you don't sell it for as much, you get less money. If you sell it for more, you get more money. And it was just kind of interesting, but from his perspective, it made a lot of sense. And, you know, we were able to do something that made him happy when we got his household. That's awesome. So tell me this. How do you stay productive and focused, like, on a day-to-day basis? How do you How do you stay focused with that? You know, that is a challenge for me because I love to teach and to talk. And so here's what I did today, for example. I walk in the office. I talk with my staff. My executive assistant is my daughter. I put a $20 bill on her desk. I said, I'm going to lead generate today from 11 to 1 o'clock. I hand her my cell phone at that time, and I put my my phone line in here on D&D. And if, I, if she catches me outside of the office other than for one bathroom break, then she keeps $20 at the end of the day. Oh, that is good motivation. Although maybe so, maybe we need to put more money on it. I'm not sure twenty bucks is enough to keep you focused there. What do you think? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, and and sometimes people go different numbers. But I was just a simple thing that literally I did that today. 
That's fantastic. So now today, then from eleven to one, I'll know that we can't call you. You're going to be you're going to be on Legion time. That's correct. So tell us one thing that is really working for you in your business, because I know that lead gen time always gets pushed to the side for the majority of agents. Would you not agree? Absolutely. And and go ahead. And and lead gen is the single most important thing that you can do as a realtor. Make no mistake about it, because you could be the most intelligent, the most articulate, the most charismatic. But if you ain't got clients, you ain't got a business. Absolutely. That's really key. So I actually love this question. It's one of my favorite questions. It says, what would you say to your younger you? Wow. To my younger you, I wish that someone had shared with me what it would look like to be self-employed, what it would look like to be in this business, because this business has allowed me and my family things that I never even dreamed possible. And so it's never been in my vocabulary, you know, no, like, no, you can't have, let's say, a Ferrari. It would be how many houses do I have to sell to get a Ferrari, right, or whatever might be important to me. So my, my, my reason being is, is this business affords us just a, it's it's unbelievable what we can do with it and and with that though we have a responsibility to make sure that we share that we kind of reach down and bring somebody up and that we make sure that as we're you know, good stewards of these finances that we do good things with it. It's, it's, if I just take this money and, and throw it in my mattress, what good is it if I can't help somebody? If I can't let somebody grow? If I can't teach somebody how to fish? You know, it's so funny that you said the part about how many houses you have to sell to get that because. That's how I, I've always thought. It's like, if, okay, if I want to go on vacation or, you know, I want to buy something for the house or I want to buy a new car, I literally sit down and I calculate it out. And Okay, well, here's what my monthly bills are. So I have to sell one extra house to exactly. accommodate that, right? What? And it, it, it then it's easy to me. It's like, okay, well, I can go sell one house. Like that's, that's not that, you know, in my mind, that's not – that hard to go sell one extra house it's just putting in that little bit of extra effort and that little bit of extra time well and that's the key so here's what your normal work week looks like marguerite wants to go buy whatever a widget and that widget costs x amount of dollars so you're like okay normally i wouldn't work on a saturday i'm going to pick up one more buyer or one more listing i'm going to work on this saturday and i'm going to make sure i pay for that so i'm taking nothing away from my family and that's, I think, what I love the most about this industry is we get paid on those results, right? If I go work a couple extra hours or I put in some extra effort, we get paid on those results. And I think, to me, that's, that is really the most important and impressive part. Because when I meet agents who are not getting the results they want, I say, well, what kind of effort are you putting in, Right. Right. And so when you actually, we talked about how you stay productive and focused in a day, and I think we only made it to 8 o'clock when we got to how what you do in a day. <laughs> We're both squirrels, right? We both got to yes. So what is the rest of your day after uh, you make your beautiful wife coffee and give her a Danish in the morning? What does the rest of your day look like? So I make it to the office between 8 and 8.30. Um, I immediately check in with the staff, find out, 
what their big rocks are that day, meaning what are the most important tasks they have to do and make sure they're on track to do so. Make sure if there's anything that I need to do, let me know. Um, I talk with my transaction coordinator and just find out if, you know, normally I, I leave them, you know, the one thing about it is called empowerment. So you have to empower your staff, empower your people. You have to trust that they're going to do a good job, and you have to accept the fact that occasionally they'll make a mistake. But as long as they're trying to do the right thing while they made the mistake, you have to forgive that mistake and allow them to grow. That being said, I meet with my staff for probably less than five minutes a day um, and find out what involvement they need me. Um, say, for example, I reached out for an agent multiple times or not responding, so I have to you know, pick up the phone and, and call somebody and have them heart-to-heart. Um, but aside from that, it's just very, very brief, and I get right to it, and um, I'll check my voicemails and emails quickly, and then by 9 o'clock I'm on the phone from 9 to 11 o'clock doing my lead generation. So I want to ask a little bit, a couple questions about team building, because I think that that is is a struggle. What what made you decide to bring the first person on? So you said in the beginning that you did it all by yourself for quite a while while you were trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. So what happened where you said, oh, I think it's time where I need to get some help? And what did that process look like? Because I think a lot of agents, A, don't hire when they should. They don't add a person when they should. And B, many of them struggle with hiring the right person. Absolutely. And that and honestly the cost of a bad hire is unbelievable. So let me let me qualify my statement. I don't think I ever did it by myself. That would be a a, a, a fib. I've always had a transaction coordinator from the very first time, um, my very first transaction, because I did listen to them, some experienced agents, and they said, you do not want to transaction coordinate your own files. Um, you want to go out and get more business. If you can pay somebody, and I'll call it a, I call it a $10 task. If you can pay somebody a $10 task, and you can make thousands in an hour, why would you do that task? So I, I first person I have, whether you actually hire them, or it's probably smarter just to outsource them. There's some very capable ones. And just outsource it for a few hundred dollars. They're going to make sure your deal closes because, believe me, they're as motivated as you are for that deal to close. And so and the way that happened to me is when I came in, it was um, January 23rd of 2003, and I was full of fear. And in the first two months, I put 16 deals in escrow in the very first two months. And it was great with the exception of the gal who I was using as my transaction coordinator. She was pregnant, and she had to um, stop working, go on disability like two months early. So I had 16 deals in escrow, didn't know how to transaction coordinate, and I just figured out I was going to have a meltdown. Luckily, the office that I was in, they were able to help get their transaction coordinators step in and help me, but I had to shut my business down for about 30 days to just be a TC and get those deals through. And so at that point... I knew I needed to have a little bit more control over that, and shortly thereafter, I made my first hire, which was my uh, assistant slash TC. And so in in hiring that person, there's two key things that I see frequently, is it not being clear on what you want them to do mm-hmm. and not managing them. You know, there's that little saying, you've got to inspect what you expect. It's like you've got to set yes. the expectations. So how did you figure out what the heck you wanted them to do all day, and, and how does managing them look? Like, how did you figure out how to manage them? Sure. Well, the main thing is because I was able to, you know, generate a lot of business. They were, they were very busy doing the transaction coordination, but um, 
beyond that, there's other things like, for example, um, handing someone your phone, like your cell phone. If you're trying to do some focused lead generation, the last thing you need to do is be answering your cell phone. So I would just hand her my phone and she would check my phone. Um, she would go and go through all of my emails. So I told my buddies, don't send me any off-color jokes on my email. Use the other email <laughs> for that, right? And, but So okay. now like my email, I, I use Gmail, and she'll go out and she'll delete all the spam and all the other things. To this day, I still have that. Um, and then the only thing I do is she'll, if there's a, because I get about 200 emails a day, so but I only see maybe 20 of them because then she deletes everything else, files things, and if there's a question you know, on, the, on the Gmail, how you can put a question mark or a star or whatever. So I just look at a fraction of the emails that I get. And the same thing for my phone calls. Um, someone is going to answer the phone. It just may not be me as I'm on this, on this call with you right now in all respect. To you, I won't disrupt it as if I were at a listing appointment, but there is somebody answering my phone right now. So don't you think one thing that holds a lot of people back is kind of that control freak side where they're, they got to see everything or do everything? How do you get yes. past that part? You know, I'll give you an example. When I made my first hire as a buyer's agent, um, hiring hiring a buyer's agent, that was the, you know, I was the world's greatest buyer's agent ever. I was the buyer's agent bomb.com. There was nobody ever better than me in my mind, right? And so when I decided it was time for me to leverage that part of my business, I hired a gentleman, Steve Hall, who was already a, a very good realtor in his own right. And people thought, why would Steve come join your team? Well, he was able to double his business by joining my team. And after the first couple of deals, I saw that the clients liked him maybe even better than me. And so it was the hardest. In the, that was the hardest hire I probably ever made because no, again, nobody could take care of my clients like me until I found that there was people who can take care of my clients like me as long as they do it to your standards. So what you have to make sure is that you have your standard, and that's a non-negotiable. If someone can't meet your standard, they can't be part of your team. I think that's so important and valuable because it, it, uh, I learned too that. Um, people, a lot of people can actually do the job better than you because they actually get it done, right? Like we're really good at starting lots of stuff, but many times uh, those projects and details go unfinished. Mm-hmm. And the people that you have on your team, well, I on my team I call them the promise keepers, right? I'm the promise maker. Mm-hmm. I go out and make all the promises. And the people on my team are the people who follow up to make sure that those promises are kept. Absolutely. And so you so you hired a person to be on your team as a transaction coordinator, and then the next person that you hired was a buyer's agent? That's correct. And so what does your team look like now? Let's fast forward. And so what? who do you have on your team now? Okay, um, so right now it's myself and my wife, Samantha, um, and it was funny. She came from a very successful career in the nonprofit, so she had to get her feet underneath her here, and she's used to being a vice president level. So one challenge we quickly had was, you know, I said, hey, there can't be two Batman. We can't be both Batman. One has to be Robin, right? (laughs) (laughs) You can imagine that. We're we're bumping heads a little bit, and I figured out, you know what? She's got a strong personality, and she is a closer. She's a better closer than I am. So, at, you know, the first couple of years, I was uh, the lead listing agent, and she kind of come along as an assistant type role and bring some, you know, um, estrogen to all of my testosterone. And it worked out well when we went on our listing appointments together. And in the last couple of years, we've 
reverse roles where she's Batman and I'm Robin, and she conducts most of the listing presentation, and I just present a couple of numbers, and you know I'm just there for moral support. So that was the only way I figured I need to figure out how can I replace myself. So I haven't hired a listing agent other than my wife, who's very capable, but I'm going to outsource my listing responsibilities too, and I, and I understand that's the hardest one, but I'm not there yet, but I hope to be there in the next year. And so who else is on your team? It's you, Samantha. Uh-huh. And then we have um, my executive assistant, Jasmine, who happens to be my daughter, and she's lovely um, <laughs> and brilliant. And then we have a gal we just acquired. She graduated from Berkeley. Um, her name's Maria, and she's phenomenal. And so she's really taking our marketing and social media platform to an entirely different level. So we are very fortunate to be able to get her. Um, and so she's just she's setting the world on fire. We're very, very thrilled. She's been with us now just for a few weeks. But that was a, a desk that we had to go through several people that didn't quite have the right skill set. And now we have someone that, oh, my God, let's hold on to this gal. Um, so we have her. And then aside from that, then I have um, two buyer's agents. I have um, a, a lead buyer's agent um, and then another buyer's agent. And so I'm actively, I have an ad right now. I'm looking for a showing assistant also and probably another buyer's agent. And buyer's agents are in your business. If you can generate the leads, buyer's agents are very good to have on your team because you get to share in the revenue that they generate. They don't cost you in terms of a payroll cost, um, but you have to train them. And so where your cost with the buyer's agent is a cost for you to train them. If you think you're just going to hire someone and put them on your team, they're going to produce, you're, you're going to be sad with the result. But if you invest time in them, you can get someone who's very productive. So how do you keep them on your team? You know, what I've seen a lot of times with buyer's agents is, you know, you spend this time training them and put energy into them, then they get a few deals under their belt, they get kind of cocky or confident, you could say, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, they think they can go do it on their own. So what yeah. what does that look like for you? Well, you know, exactly what you said. It happens. I mean, the reality is I've had several, um, you know, most of them they'll stay for at least a year or more. And, you know, none of them have left with any sort of animosity. Um, I'm happy for them. You know, it's not slavery. As much as we like to think so, it's, you know, it's at-will employment. Anybody can leave at any time, even with a contract. So the business reality is it's my job to create a world so big that they can grow and thrive in it and never want to leave it. And so if someone finds that they think there's something better for them out there, I wish them the best, and I figure I'm like Johnny Appleseed creating this wonderful orchard, and that's another tree I have in my orchard that I have a good relationship with that maybe down the road I may get favor because of that. I love that analogy. That's actually that's actually really valuable. Uh, that's my little aha today. I really like that. You know, I, I was cracking up when you were talking about your wife because, um, you know, Joe and I have been together for, well, 30 years, but married for 25. And in the first half of our relationship, he worked for, he was a big corporate guy with First Union Bank. And so everyone used to say, oh, you're Joe's wife, you're Joe's wife. And, of course, the roles have switched over the last few years. And so we go somewhere and they go, oh, you're Marguerite's husband. You're Marguerite's husband. And we laugh about it all the time because it's just how things work in a relationship, right? You both want to love and support each other. And so working together, I know, has has had its, its set of challenges, too. And we've learned over the years that 
we stay in our corners, so to speak. He has the stuff that he does well and the stuff that I do well, and it's easier if we kind of stay in our, our corner of the ring. It, you know, it makes so much sense, even to the point that we don't work in the same office. We have individual offices with the door separating us, so that works out really, really well because, you know, men and women sometimes are wired differently, and, you know, I can have conflict, and it's over and done with five minutes, but not with my wife. If something happens at home, it'll come to work. So I've just found, and for our benefit, we have you know individual offices in our own space, and it just works out a lot better. Yeah, and we found too that uh, we do talk about work at home. I'd like to say that we don't, but we do. But we did make a rule that it doesn't cross the threshold of the bedroom. So we're pretty good about that. when we go into the bedroom. That's it. We can't talk about work anymore. You know, that's like right. the one. Uh, the one free zone where we are able to uh, keep things a little bit separate. But Well, Kevin, I think that you have given us a ton of great content today, and I have a, a ton of admiration and respect for you. I'm I'm really excited, and I've watched you grow over the years, and you, you and your entire team just keep getting better and better. So thanks for being on our show today. Any last words before we wrap up? Yes, absolutely. I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to share some of this information and also congratulate you on your coaching and public speaking. Um, just on a, on a personal note, I had to leave a little bit early yesterday when you were speaking, and I shared with you up front that I wasn't walking out on you, but my, you wife, had the oppor- my wife had the opportunity to sit and listen to you and she was absolutely thrilled and took things to heart. And I think she yeah, she even met with you afterwards. So thank you so much for that gift. You're a very generous and caring person. And thank you for sharing your talents with others. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today on The Real Estate Real World, where we get to talk to real agents who are on the streets working hard just like you. So if you've enjoyed this, please share it on your social media. Go on over and subscribe at iTunes and would love to have your reviews. So thank you very much for being a part of our show. Go out and make it a great day.